The following story contains sensitive and disturbing details. It's not suitable for children. He's a white male, approximately 25 to 35 years of age. Uh, the city of Birmingham has authorized a reward of $25,000 to be distributed to person or persons furnishing information or evidence which results in the apprehension and conviction of those person or persons responsible for the criminal abduction of Timothy King. 510 Husky Build. In the early 1990s, my friend Dan Stott told me the case would be solved by a deathbed confession. He has a fair complexion. It is the responsibility of all citizens, young and old, to partake in this investigation. He was wearing a rust-colored sport jacket with dark pants. The bodies were, were looked like they'd been cleaned and scrubbed and maybe even a shower. He's soft-spoken. Not only was the public uh, nervous, frightened, scared to death about what was happening to our, to our children, but you had some doubts creeping in to the public as to whether the police were doing a good job. And has dark brown hair cut in a shag. Welcome back to Shattered. On March 23rd of 1977, the Lansing State Journal led with the headline, Seventh Abduction, Slaying, Missing Boy Found Dead. The article was written and published less than 24 hours after Timmy King's lifeless body was found. People were terrified. Oakland County Sheriff Johanna Spreen said, quote, parents are now driving their children to school and picking them up. And when a child has been missing for a couple hours where parents would have waited it out, now they call us right away, end quote. Fear distorted the picture. People didn't know who to look for exactly, but they knew that someone was out there that was horrible and violent. People wondered whether John Wayne Gacy was the Oakland County child killer. John Wayne Gacy is one of the most infamous serial killers in American history. Every day for a week, outsiders came here to see bodies brought out of Gacy's house. His neighbors will never forget that. You, you see bodies in your sleep, you see him in your sleep, it's just too much. By the time he was convicted in 1980, he had sexually assaulted, tortured, and murdered at least 33 teenage boys and young men in Cook County, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. WJR Radio News Director Dick Hafner explains why Gacy's name was connected with the Oakland County child killer. A lot of the things involving what, what Gacy did would, would go along with what we thought the killer might be like. And so we had the specter of John Wayne Gacy from Chicago 
being the Oakland County child killer. It, it, it was an example of the mass hysteria going on and, and the rampant fear going on in, in our community. We checked into that and we couldn't find anything to say that he was actually here. Retired Detective Sergeant Dave Robertson used to work for the Michigan State Police. His father was actually the original task force commander, Robert Robertson, and Dave Robertson was part of the reinvented task force. Chief Tobin reiterated at the news conference that someone out there knows this killer or killers, and he begs that the person come forward with information and put an end to this ordeal that has shaken the entire community. The community was on the lookout for a white male between 25 and 35 years old, five feet, 10 inches tall, heavy set build. These details were given by a witness who saw Timmy King speaking to a man that fit that description. That description fit a lot of men in the area. The other clue they had? We believe that he's driving a late model blue gremlin with white wall tires. The blue gremlin became an obsession. The gremlin. Blue gremlin. Blue gremlin. A gremlin. 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 Blue gremlin. That same witness claims they saw Timmy King talking to the stocky guy and he was sitting behind the wheel of a blue gremlin the night that Timmy was abducted. It was easier for people to identify the car than it was to identify a stocky white male of average height. There is a, a famous wanted poster uh, that is circulated in the 70s and it shows the gremlin and I think a $100,000 reward for information and a, a sketch. Oakland County Chief Assistant Prosecutor, Paul Walton. Sometimes, uh, a theory or a statement then becomes the narrative of the story. Like I said, the best example is the gremlin. WJR News Director, Dick Hafner. If you saw a blue gremlin driving in your neighborhood, you called the police. And if you were on the other end of that and you drove a blue AMC gremlin, or you sold one, you were feeling the heat. Despite all the bad publicity and new car AMC dealers are not happy about it, Blue Gremlins with the white stripes are still being sold. In fact, one was sold here today in Royal Oak. I've really been worried about it because I work in Oakland County, yeah. and I'm in downtown Birmingham a lot. I get some strange looks. <laughs> you mean people driving by look at you funny? Yeah, they look in the car to see, you know, who's driving it. And when they see it's a girl, they usually, you know, just say, oh, well. It's got to affect business, mm -hmm. especially on the Blue Gremlins. I, but... Uh, I would hope that something would happen shortly where this thing would be settled. So my girlfriends came over one night and they said they saw a man out there looking in my car. I came out off of work one time and there was a guy looking out in my car, but that was it. We had a customer in the other day that had been stopped. Police and state police stopped him and local police too. The entire task force and public were focused on blue gremlins. I think it was a Deliberate mistake by the police officers. Barry King, father of Timmy King, remembers Timmy's older brother, Chris, trying to help. When he got home from babysitting that night, Chris, who had just turned 16 the day before and got his license, without talking to his parents, took his baseball bat and went out looking for Tim, got to the Hunter Maple parking lot where apparently it all took place. Stores were closed, and he said there were three or four cars there, including a blue gremlin. 
and he had read someplace that they had fancy upholstery. And he even went over and looked in it. But it didn't have this fancy one he was checking out. And three or four days later, when the ad went in the paper, Chris told the cops that he'd seen that blue gremlin there that evening. That doesn't appear any place in the records that I've seen. And the King family always thought it was a bad lead. Retired officer Dave Robertson. Christine Mihaly. I mean, the car backed into the snowbank and left bumper imprints. And we were able to identify the car. As a... I think it was a Cutlass. Definitely it wasn't a blue gremlin. No, it was not a blue gremlin. But could it have been a Pontiac Le Mans? Here's WJR Radio's Dick Hafner. If it was a Pontiac Le Mans, and we should have been, we at that time should have been notified of this, would that have helped track down the killer? We don't know. That's one of the questions and one of the areas where, looking back on it, we wonder whether the police didn't do this job very well. That's the biggest red herring I've ever seen. Some woman comes out of the drugstore and says, I think I saw a blue gremlin. And we spent months tracking down blue gremlins. Oakland County Executive Al Brooks Patterson. Anyway, the, co the corporation cooperated with us and gave us names of people who purchased them. And the people had Patterson at the time was the Oakland County prosecutor. He actually decided to ignore the Constitution in pursuit of the killer. And the people who had blue gremlins probably got stopped every other block, uh, but they never complained. And I said, look, you guys stop the cars. If you, if, if you, I'll take the heat. You normally have to have a probable cause to make a stop. I said, if you see a car that looks suspicious, go ahead, stop it, and search it. And not, if there's any you know, backlash uh, because of the Fourth Amendment protections, I'll, I'll stand for it. We stopped cars all over Oakland County for the next couple of days. Very little probable cause, if any. Not one motorist complained. They, they wanted to help, sure, open the truck, sure. I mean, they, they knew that this investigation was, was at that particular case going on very quickly. They didn't have a whole lot of time. And uh, so we, you know, I said, told the police, go out there and raise hell, but uh, the public, to a, to a man and to a woman, no problem. Current Oakland County Chief Assistant Prosecutor, Paul Walton. If you drove a, a gremlin in Oakland County, you're getting pulled over and the car was getting searched. What a gross waste of resources, quite honestly. And, and to this day, it has felt that it is the gremlin that is involved in this. The gremlin was the biggest red herring ever in the case. Author Marnie Keenan. I think they, they located every registered gremlin, something like 8,000 gremlins that were registered. And I have a picture of a cop standing next to this big computer page to outline of every gremlin. Gremlins are being pulled over left and right. One, one gremlin was, uh, had a you know, full police presence in, engage them because it was a guy trying to take his kid to the dentist. If the blue gremlin was not the right vehicle, many, many man hours of police work and many, many thousands of eyes of people that were trying to observe 
and get clues. Uh, people in the general public trying to help find who the killer was were driven down the wrong path. The gremlin wasn't the only apparent waste of time. There were other actions taken that amounted to nothing. I knew Bruce Danto very well. He was a respected uh, mental health professional around here. He did uh, forensic uh, investigations with uh, many police agencies. He was very public about what he did, and he enjoyed the limelight. So it was almost natural that Dr. Bruce Danto would get involved in some way in the Oakland County child killings. It's still not entirely clear what was motivating Dr. Danto. And he had this theory that he was secretly communicating with the killers. Dr. Bruce Danto would establish contact with someone claiming to know the killer. The doctor and the killer's associate planned to meet what happened after the break. Dr. Bruce Danto was a middle-aged psychiatrist and professor at Wayne State University in 1977. He consulted with the task force on this case, and he did so with police prior to the child killings on other cases. Some police were skeptical of Dr. Danto because he was kind of a publicity hound in some ways, but they were willing to take whatever help anybody might be able to give them, and Dr. Bruce Danto, after all, was an expert in this field, uh, and he offered to try to help. We have completely covered uh, the areas that we need to with the profile and with the composite and with the information about cars and vehicles wanted. Uh, and we will uh, begin to... Dr. Danto appeared on local TV in January of 1977 while Christine Mihalik was missing. And shortly after this television segment, the killer would leave Mihalik's body on Bruce Lane in Franklin, Michigan. Dr. Bruce Danto thought Bruce Lane meant the killer was trying to send him a message. I know this sounds crazy, but police thought Danto and the killer may actually have a connection. While Timmy King was missing in March of 1977, the police went to Danto and asked him for help. They wanted Danto to go on TV and say that the killer was, quote, a squirrel-like character, end quote. Authorities hoped this would lead the killer to Squirrel Road. The police late, you know, staked out Squirrel Road for 24, 30 days, 24 hours a day. Finally, they called it up. In the spring of 1977, a man calling himself Alan wrote Dr. Danto, saying that his roommate Frank was the killer. Now, Frank or Alan, neither one of those are real names. These are the names that were given by Alan. Danto and this Alan guy would write back and forth. It's important to note that Danto did share his correspondence with the task force. Alan typed, I am desperate and nearly gone crazy. This is for real, and I know who the killer is. I live with him. I am his slave. He went on to talk about his roommate, Frank, and how his actions were actually celebrated. He killed a lot of little kids and then got medals for it, burned them to death, bombed them with napalm. 
He wants the rich people in Birmingham to suffer like all of us suffered to get nothing back for what we did for our country. He's not a monster like you think. He really loves children, especially that little girl. For three weeks, not because he hates children, but doing it because he hates everybody else out there. Alan was clear that he himself had nothing to do with the murders. He said, I swear, I had no idea he was going to kill that first little boy, the one with the blonde-colored hair. That blonde boy he's talking about was Mark Stebbins. Alan started to become more cryptic and left Dr. Danto some instructions. On April 10th, 1977, Dr. Danto contacted Alan by putting an ad in the newspaper with the code words, trees to bloom in three weeks. Now, these particular code words were used because that's what Alan asked Danto to do so that Alan knew Danto wanted to communicate with him. Alan responded to this ad by calling Dr. Danto that day, and he promised to bring Polaroids to Danto, proving that his roommate Frank killed Mark Stebbins, Jill Robinson, Christine Mihalik, and Timmy King. Now, that was only if Dr. Danto could get the then-governor, William Milliken, to write a letter of immunity, which would make sure that Alan didn't get in any trouble through this process. Alan would orchestrate a meeting. The venue, a gay bar in Detroit. Dr. Danto showed, and then he waited. Alan never showed, and would never make contact with the doctor again. Danto tried several times publicly to reach out to this Alan guy through the newspaper, but he had seemingly vanished. Some speculate that he was hushed, possibly murdered. Others think Alan was nothing more than a hoax. As the case trudged on and leads dried up, the task force funds were evaporating. What I'm interested in is as long as we have the manpower, uh, we've got enough cars and gas in our cars and paper to put in the typewriters, uh, we're going to be in business. The remaining officers kept working the case. In the nearly 23 months the task force operated, they would be awarded two federal grants totaling $445,000. But that would only last so long. After 20,000 tips and about $2 million spent, on December 15, 1978, the task force would officially fold. And the Oakland County child killer case would go quiet for a long, long time. But in February of 1989, there would be a development. Police in Berkeley, Michigan, went through a dead man's belongings, and a small cross was found. It was an inch and a half long. It was a little girl's jewelry. Etched into the back of this cross was the name Christine, spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, the same way Oakland County child killer victim Christine Mihalik spelled her first name. That alone wasn't enough to be something, Obviously, there was more to the story. The dead man was what connected the cross to the crimes. In 1981, a man named David Norberg died in a car crash in Wyoming. He was originally from the Oakland County area and had been a suspect in the child murders back in the original investigation. But he would be cleared after the police interviewed him several times. Norberg moved his family to Wyoming shortly after the police questioned him. Investigators arrived at dawn to the small cemetery in Recluse, Wyoming, where David Norberg is buried. In 1999, after DNA technology and science advanced, authorities would take a chance. They admit it's a long shot that a hair found on one of the victims will match DNA taken from Norberg, who remains the prime suspect 
18 years after his own death. It took more than two decades, but police had a lead, a good lead. Enough of a lead to fly a team of authorities and journalists more than 1,300 miles to exhume a body. Uh, he's a suspect. We have DNA, and you just have to come out and do this. How can you just not, uh, not do it? How do you ignore it and say, well, it costs too much? The cost shouldn't be a factor. By 7 a.m., the grave was dug and the top of the coffin removed. Dr. L.J. Dragovich performed an autopsy and collected samples from inside the six-foot grave. Well, the success of, of this operation would be measured by the ability of the appropriate labs to, to do the testing and hopefully the matching. L. Brooks Patterson was the prosecuting attorney in the mid-70s when the Oakland County child killer abducted and murdered four children between the ages of 10 and 12. He arranged private financing for the trip in hopes it will finally close the case. It always has been a long shot, and um, it's, but as I said before, it's a shot that uh, we're taking. Christine Mihalik's mother would tell the Detroit Free Press that she didn't recognize the cross. And former Task Force Street Commander Lieutenant Joe Kreese said, quote, You have to fit the person to the crime. You can't change the crime to fit the person, end quote. They took their shot, but unfortunately, David Norberg was not their guy. Another frustrating dead end, but for the first time in a long time, the meter was moving. After a few years in 2005, the task force would reactivate and new leads would lead to new suspects. It would also lead police back to old suspects and one in particular that sounded an awful lot like this guy. He's a white male, approximately 25 to 35 years of age, 5'10", husky build, he has a fair complexion. He was wearing a rust-colored sport jacket with dark pants. He's soft-spoken and has dark brown hair cut in a shag. And I've not seen anybody convince me that Bush was not involved. I've had a number of people say, well, I'm not going to talk to you anymore, or I'm not going to talk to you. But that doesn't mean they don't agree with me. In 2010, Barry King filed a Freedom of Information Act request and began his own investigation into the murder of his son, Timmy. And he felt elected officials were standing in his way. I don't understand why Jessica Cooper who's never prepared or tried a case for 40 years, ever got elected prosecutor. But it seems like every time I get one piece of information, it raises two more questions. And I think the prosecutors are elected to protect the victims. Information became something to argue over. The victims' families want it all. But the county and officials are careful to guard it. This battle, which is still going on to this very day, has a lot to do with one particular suspect. I've had police officers tell me uh, that they thought Christopher Bush was involved. Christopher Bush was just one of many names to emerge. You know, to me, the, the whole uh, weight of, uh, as to how this case is going to be solved today lies on, on Ted Lamborghini, to me. Vince Gunnels. Tazalar, 
James Moore, Art Sloan, and Crosby. The usual and unusual suspects on the next Shattered. Special thank you to Barry King, Dick Hafner, Dave Robertson, Paul Walton, Marnie Keenan, L. Brooks Patterson, Bob Dykstra, and Corey Williams, who gave their time and consideration to this story. And a lot of work goes into this whole process, and I want to make sure that the following people are recognized. Anastasia Klimovitz, Joe Prince, and Tad Davis, not just for their help on interviews, but also in the editing process. Zach Rosen, who oversees the podcast operation here. Kenny Elsoff for his help with the website, which looks great. Mary Wallace and the crew at the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University. Dave Birch, who's made several trips back and forth to fix the machine we use to capture film and audio. Kevin Dietz for his help along the way. Ro Coppola, executive producer of Special Projects. Kelly Allen, executive producer of My House and Life. Our team also produced a five-part docuseries on the story, so if you'd like to see the faces attached to all the names and voices that you're hearing, you'll find that and so much more at shatteredpodcast.com. Until next time. <laughs>